Well, hello, everybody. How you doing? I know it's a weird time. I know we're stuck inside. We're stuck with each other. Or if you live alone, you're stuck with yourself. And you kind of have to evaluate uh, just how annoying you really are to you, uh, which is a very strange uh, moment. <laughs> but we're all dealing with that uh, in one way or another. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is here for you to alleviate all your uh, shelter-in-place boredom and tedium. We're here to uh, make it easier for you. Uh, the, the programming is not going to stop. Which brings me to a letter from Amanda. Amanda writes the following. Dear Alex, I wanted to tell you that during this lockdown, I've cleaned my house seven times, I've learned to cook new dishes, and I've trained my cat to open a box of graham crackers. But more importantly, I've listened to every episode of Stereo Embers of the podcast, and I've loved them all. But last night, I started to worry that through all of this sheltering at home, you'd be off the air for a while. Please tell me this isn't true. Love, Amanda, from Berkeley. Then she writes, P.S., are you impressed my cat can open a box of graham crackers? Uh, well, look, Amanda, first of all, don't worry. We're going nowhere. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, will be on the air through all of this. I might even post new episodes twice a week. Don't hold me to that, but that could happen. Um, as for being impressed with your cat opening a box of graham crackers, yes, I am. Uh, it's good, but I'd be far more impressed if your cat could close a box of graham crackers. Work on that, Amanda. God knows we have the time. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. What is me? of my guest today on the program, Rachel Sage. Let me tell you a little bit about Rachel Sage. Now, before I do that, we have to have a little discussion about character. You're probably wondering why. Well, it's because that's the name of Rachel's new album. Now, character can mean many things. In fact, when we refer to someone's character, we're talking about their unique mental, moral, and behavioral qualities that distinguish them from everyone else. You know, things like disposition, temperament, proclivities, nature, and personality. But on her new album, Rachel Sage is exploring what comprises character in the first place. In other words, she's not as interested in the destination here as she is the journey. And what a journey it's been for Rachel Sage. The New York-born Sage is a self-taught pianist who grew up listening to everything from the Beatles to the music of Broadway. A classically trained ballerina who studied at the School of American Ballet in New York City 
Sage went west after high school to study at Stanford. With a degree in drama in her hand, Sage became a member of the esteemed actor's studio in Manhattan. I mean, as far as educational pedigrees go, you really couldn't do much better. But instead of diving headfirst into acting, Sage took a left turn on the artistic road and began to devote herself to music. From her winning 1996 debut Morbid Romantic to her brand new album Character, Sage has been consistently putting out brilliant album after brilliant album for the better part of 25 years. Along the way, she's opened for everyone from Howard Jones to Sarah McLaughlin to Judy Collins. She's worked with the legendary producer Phil Ramone, and aside from her musical forays, she's a gifted painter and writer, and she runs her own label, Empress Records. And what of the new album? Well, it continues Sage's winning streak. An introspective, probing, and joyful look at who we are and what keeps us up at night, as well as what makes us sleep soundly, Character is a life-affirming song cycle of elegant, literate pop. I know we're supposed to be sheltering in place right now, but I don't think being stuck at home can stop Rachel Sage. You'll see once you get to know her. So enjoy this conversation with me and Rachel Sage right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Stop what your your mission is on this this earth, what you feel your your purpose is, and I I feel so very lucky to have you know had inklings of that at a very very young age, and I know that's not completely unusual. There are many artists like that, but other people sometimes it just takes them a bit longer to to figure out what it is that really lights them up and and makes them feel like you know their focus is in in the right place and and uh, feeding a life of meaning. So, um, you know, for me, my work is, is my joy and, and also the way that I navigate the world and, and figure out who I am. And no doubt that will be a lifelong process. So I think when I stop that, that would be some kind of, you know, active giving up on myself and, and hopefully that won't ever happen. <laughs> no, no. And you, you have also, been somebody who in the arts you're sort of like an artistic triathlete like you do work in a bunch of different mediums that's true yes I've always uh, really enjoyed making visual art and um, you know about a, a decade or a little bit more ago I uh, started writing a lot of poetry um, and you know these are just other sort of natural extensions of what I consider to be my inherent uh, desire to communicate and and just find my way in the world as a creative artist. So I don't, you know, I don't know how unusual that is. I know a lot of fellow polymaths, but I do really look at it as all the same extension, um, just being creative and also, um, you know, finding common ground between myself and other people, whether they're artists or not, just using art as a language to connect. I remember... I saw an interview with CeeLo Green, and he was saying that he was a terrible misfit teenager. Um, and they said, why were you such a bad guy? And he said, because I was an artist without an outlet. Um, you know, he uh, wasn't, right? Like he was not creative. Yeah. He wasn't performing. And then he started doing that, and everything changed. And can you, um, I mean, can you imagine 
um, what he must have been going through. So when he found that, that was such a huge place for him. Have you always felt that because you have artistic outlets, that it also, by extension, is a way of kind of keeping you sane in this world? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I was, this is no secret. I've written about it and um, even written pieces along the lines of uh, hashtag, you know, it gets better. I was very badly bullied as a kid. And had I not had that outlet of music and then, you know, eventually songwriting, um, just playing piano came first. But then I figured out that I could actually say things in a song that I would never have had the ability or you know, just the, the direct language to share with anyone, even if it had been my own family, I wouldn't have known how to do that. So poetry and the ability to kind of, you know, um, inject your personal reality with a little bit of fiction and creativity and, and um, you know, just to, to merge art and life, it was a huge healing tool for me. How has, over the years, how has the merging of art and life, um, how has it transformed? How has it changed or evolved in your work? In other words, are you, do you think you're better at it or more efficient at it than you've been? I, you know, I haven't really given that much thought. I, I, while I occasionally kind of navel gaze on my process, I think the, the truth is I'm just so happy and grateful when the muse kind of... Uh, collides with my my ability to receive it and to uh, embrace and, and kind of write it all down or take it to an instrument. So you know, I don't know that my process itself has changed dramatically through the years, but I do try to be as flexible as I can with it and as sort of just um, welcoming. So there are, are things that I do now and that I've always done that um, kind of encourage her to show up like you know, dimming the lights, lighting some candles, shutting off my devices, you know, also going to see things I know will inspire or at least, you know, affect me profoundly, emotionally and intellectually, theater, film, you know, even just taking time to be with friends and, and to listen to what's going on in their lives. It's sort of a, you know, a balance between reflecting and gazing inward and also making sure um, that I am on input enough as, as a human being, you know, right. to have something to write about, you know, and that's not why I would necessarily focus on that. I think it's just a healthy and natural extension of being, being a person, you know, on the planet. But that, that uh, approach to balance is something that I, I do work, work on actively. And do you feel, because I, I have found for myself as a writer, I have found as I've gotten older, I'm better at not chasing bad ideas into the darkness. I know when to abandon. Oh, that's interesting. Right? Like I know oh, when sure. I go, yeah. that's not going to work. Or, do you think that is the same for you? Honestly, I don't. Because I'll tell you, here's a little kernel of uh, trivia for you. Um, there's a song on my new album, Character, that I wrote in college. And... It came from a very specific place of kind of, you know, teenage angst and, and struggle to figure out some, uh, you know, very overwhelming relationship dynamics at the time with an early partner and, and you know, some behavior I, I 
was confused by. And so inevitably I wrote this song, Cave. And I forgot about it. I never put it on an album. I put it in a drawer. And over the past year, I unearthed a lot of old poetry and lyrics. And that one resonated with me and meant something completely different. So while I kind of threw it away and dismissed it, you know, along the lines of what you were asking, I, I didn't judge it when I when I found it again. And I think that was beneficial because I recorded it and I really love it. And, you know, I don't think there's an expiration date on creativity or, or good ideas or, you know, so I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly, but I, it seems like in a, in a certain way, all the art I've ever made and will make is kind of on an even playing field in my brain so that I I can take what what is honest for me and feels authentic at any different given time and share that. Right. Because like, you know, to quote Wordsworth, it was an emotion reflected in tranquility and it was written down. And so there must have been a spark that got it there in the right. first place. So you're kind of honoring exactly. that spark. <clears throat> That's right. And there and there's no guarantee that just because you're getting older and presumably wiser, you'll attract more or, or fewer sparks. You know, I, I think they're all kind of magical and, and worth examining in some way, even if your perspective on them is different. So I'm really curious about where this record came from, how long it was germinating and the origins of these songs and this song cycle, I should say. Um, but before you answer that, I just want to say that I love it. I love this album. Oh, thank you. Well, I know, you know, you probably know from reading a bit about it and, and the songs themselves that this album in particular um, started from a very, very personal place. And yeah. um, much of it is a, a chronicle of some of what I went through um, recovering from a recent experience with cancer. So, you know, the challenge for me, of course, as an artist, was to find a way to make what was very personal, hopefully relate to other people and and be positive as well. And, you know, I don't think I could have made the album any sooner than I did, but I have learned firsthand, you know, just how healing time can be. And I mean, and the name of the album is Character. And, and one of the things, do you think that... Uh, I mean, obviously the, the title can work on many different levels, but do you think that yes. character has a lot to do with the healing process? I think what became important for me was to just make sure that I was approaching this incredibly challenging and inevitably overwhelming experience and confusing experience um, with the qualities that I, that I wanted to, you know, project um, to everyone around me who was trying to help me and also to myself, you know, to be the best patient I could be, to be appreciative of the sacrifices that certain people were making in my life on my behalf, um, to appreciate and be grateful for, you know, just the, the excellent work of my medical team. So in a certain sense, that was one um, you know, angle to the theme of character that I was reflecting on when I wrote certain songs on the record. And then there were inevitably, you know, some other tunes that looked at the other meanings of the word um, as might be explored in our tumultuous socio-political landscape. Yes. And just, you know, just trying to define what 
what comprises character, what does it mean to have it in abundance or to have very little of it and to kind of break that down. What did you learn about yourself through the process that you didn't that you didn't know or that you did know that got confirmed tenfold? Well, one thing that I learned was that, you know, I have the ability to ignore my instincts just as easily as someone who might not be, you know, making a living and having a career uh, essentially self-reflecting, you know, as their job. I, I think that we're all vulnerable to, you know, not being conscious and it takes effort for every single person, no matter where they come from, what they do, what their spiritual background is, whatever the case may be, even how supportive their community is. I think all of us are vulnerable to the power of suggestion and to the energy that's around us, whether it's positive or negative. And so those are some things that I've learned to be a lot more aware of and to kind of curate my life and my my loved ones <laughs> in a much more conscious way. When you entered the studio to record character, where were you physically and where were you emotionally? I was already well in into my remission and the good news that it looked like all my treatments, you know, at least so far, you know, it's an ongoing process, but um, that I, I was okay and that the worst was behind me. So I you know, entered the studio in a place of sheer celebration and optimism and gratitude. And while some of the songs I had written in the months before were inevitably, you know, complex and, and um, have some sadness and, and frustration, there are an equal number of songs that are on the other end of that spectrum of just, you know, being happy to be alive and, and doing what I enjoy and surrounded by people I love and you know so I think ultimately it's a very positive place where I end up on the record and and um you know the song um <clears throat> let's see where is it yes um be the same is one where I'm even able to acknowledge things that were painful and derive a hope from what I've learned and there there are a few songs on the album like that um, character was the very last one that I wrote, and it's much more kind of uh, opaque and um, I guess it's more poetic. So that's kind of me returning to my older self, <laughs> not necessarily wanting to tell my own personal story, but to be more out there in the world and aware of what everyone else collectively is, is going through. So I, I take that as a good sign that that's where I ended up. Um, recording. Yeah, and we talk about art as an outlet. Um, mm -hmm. I imagine that there was a, a, a massive healing component to to the creative process, to actually to the healing process. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, that's always been the case for me. You know, I, I think that that isn't something that's new. And, and from the moment that I first started writing songs, um, I think it was an effort to console myself and and to kind of keep myself company and, and develop a language that felt safe where anything I expressed was kind of, you know, artfully veiled in, in entertainment factor and, and some 
poetic content, um, it's just so much easier for most artists who I know to express their, you know, their true emotions in a way that's, um, you know, failed in craft, I suppose you could say. And for you, there was never any question about sharing your experience with your fans. Actually, there was. Um, oh. I I did not. You mean in terms of my cancer experience? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, no. I I uh, I didn't share it right away. I felt like I had to get through it first. Um, it was very, you know, it took all of my energy. So I I was very careful in conserving that, and I I knew. Um, I just knew very quickly that having to try to think about how it would affect other people or having to worry about language and sharing it, you know, all of that would have to come later. And what I needed to do initially was just, you know, get through my treatment and, and kind of, you know, be private about it and take care of myself, you know, self-care came first. And then when I was on the other side of it, uh, last September, I believe, was when I, I decided to, to share it. I mean, I, I did know at some point I would, um, but it, it had to be at a, in a moment where I could handle the inevitable, you know, blue of beautifully concerned messages that would, that would come. But even when people are expressing their concern and their care and their, you know, the fact that they identify with what you're saying or they're, they're happy that, that they're not alone going through something similar, um, it's still a, a whole new door to walk through emotionally. So I, I waited until I was ready. And the reaction, uh, I imagine, from the fans is probably something which is which is coming all the time. It is. Although, you know, I will say there, it, you know, listeners and, and people who support you take your lead. So um, that's something I've been feeling out and if I want to talk about it, you know, I will, and, and then people will respond to that. Um, there could be days, if not weeks, where where I don't, and, and there are other things in my life that are just, you know, much more at the forefront, thankfully. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like, with everything, it's, um, it's a conversation, and it's a call and response. <laughs> I am not entitled to anything. And I do not deserve more than I have I don't see a superhero When I look into the mirror Arbiting between the good and bad Cause I'm just another person Struggling in her skin Trying to believe when it gets too hard I'm so sick of pretending My courage is unending All I feel is better and scarred Cause I wish I could be Grateful to be me But my bravery's on fire to come out alive 
always been a theatricality to your music which I've always loved and you know oh, thank you I love it and theater is persona and I wonder if you I'm mm. always fascinated by this Rachel but do you think in terms of the person you are on stage is a kind of theatrical projection uh, of your personality or extension but do you still think of it as being interchangeably you or do when you get off stage do you turn back into the rachel off is there an off stage or on stage persona is there a difference between the two and can that's you a great question yeah let me break that down because i think that's really interesting and also it's fun for me to think about that you started off after, you know mentioning that theater in you know from your perspective is, is about persona i guess for me theater is is not that theater is telling a story and, you know, actually wanting a very specific intention to land with an audience and sort of preparing to create that and to impart that. So that is very different to me, actually, than being a singer-songwriter and getting up on stage and sharing your music. And when I was primarily an actor in my early 20s and, and had come out of conservatory as an actress, you know, I, I was so, I was being so trained to use every, you know, every tool I had available, um, you know, intellectually, physically, um, emotionally, all of these parts of myself to convey character that wasn't my own necessarily, you know, to work from the outside in, inside out, whichever, whatever it took to be other people, um, for, you know, bringing to life from the page. And then when I decided to go down this path 
it was actually a very different turn I took. I, I think it's a lot more about sharing your authentic self, granted, you know, through a bullhorn, perhaps, <laughs> a microphone. <laughs> but, you know, so I guess in answer to your question, it's absolutely me up there. And and I it isn't a different persona from who I am off stage other than, you know, obviously knowing how to use my voice to to hopefully help it project in a way that I wouldn't off stage and my body slightly more, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm a little bit freer on stage just because I enjoy it so much and, and that connection with an audience. But I think it's just, you know, basically an amplified musical conversation. Um, and if you ever hang out with me, you'll learn pretty quickly. I'm, I'm pretty theatrical off stage too, so <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the a lot of people I interview um that are that have the same job as you, they all tell me that they're introverts. And you know, an oh, well, on stage. Yeah. Right? And and on stage I see where you're going, yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they're very they're very extroverted on stage. And then like a really good example is um the singer of Sister Sparrow, who I was chatting with her uh, and she yeah. She's fantastic. I love her. She's great. And she's so commanding, but she was saying offstage, she's quite quiet. And um, and there's a, a difference between what happens on stage and mm. off. And I think she was okay, saying- well, To me, that's a different question. I, I think, yeah, persona and how you behave on stage and off being, being um, you know, sort of a juxtaposition, I, I relate to that a lot. Um, but I thought you were actually asking, like, are you a different person on stage? <laughs> and I, I would say no. Um, no. But, yeah, no, I am an introverted extrovert, absolutely. I need a lot of space. I need time by myself. I need to kind of, you know, just collect myself after being on stage and maybe go to a quiet little room and not talk and, and just, you know, meditate or read or whatever it is. I mean, I think that's more just the ups and downs and sort of, you know, dynamics of, of uh, being a person. Right. <laughs> and and the, the time on stage is this very rarefied 30 to, you know, 90 minutes of of you doing your job, which is to, you know, to, to be with, with other people and share something that you want to share. So I kind of com would compare that more like to an introverted extrovert showing up at a dinner party it's something that we may love to do but maybe you know not all the time and you need to kind of prepare for it and then you need to recover from it and so that arc is definitely there in terms of my my time on stage and off conversely i would imagine that if you're getting plenty of time to feed yourself quietly that there must be an itch to want to also feed the part of you that is on stage <laughs> Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, every time I go home to New York, it's kind of a mixed bag of being excited to sleep in my own bed and being excited to walk the streets of my favorite city in the world and just to be home, catch up with friends. But it's also, there's a lot of reality, you know, to being home that you haven't had to deal with when you're out on the road, like your bills and your laundry and, you know, people who you haven't had time to call yet and just sort of you know, compressing your schedule to make sure you catch up on everything. And when I'm home for a long time and don't have the opportunity to get on stage and feel like I'm 
giving something meaningful to other people who who are you know hoping to receive it it's it's a very um you know I can get anxious and and that outlet is something I really think I've come to need um so I think it's good though you know everybody needs an outlet right <laughs> and of I'm course. lucky that mine is my my vocation <laughs> yes exactly and do you find the road to be a wearying proposition or do you still are, are all the miles in between uh you're okay with that with all the travel i love it i absolutely love it and i don't know if that makes me weird or whatever <laughs> but i think there's just something about me that loves to wander to travel to see different places and also you know to, to kind of get away from home and then come back to it with a different perspective uh, meet all different kinds of people. It's just, it's very natural to me. And I've been this way for decades now. So I think it must be just something in my spirit. I'm always curious and I ask a lot. Um, but were were your parents supportive of your endeavors in the arts? You know, they have been very supportive in very particular ways. And I'm sure other people must answer you similarly. I think there were certain things that from the get-go they were very proud of and excited by just seeing their kids kind of sit down at an instrument and create something that was very foreign to them because neither of them are musicians but they both love music so they were very encouraging of that and in particular uh, my dad exposed me to a lot of doo-wop and um, rock, rock and roll and the Beatles and my mother was very eager for me to absorb you know other types of classics in the form of Broadway shows and, and those kinds of composers. So I think once they knew what I was into, they wanted me to hear what they considered to be the best, you know, to influence and, and kind of encourage my craft. In terms of the career of it all, you know, I think it was challenging for both of them in different ways to grasp what it was exactly I was aiming for and that's been something that, you know, has, has taken uh, thoughtfulness on, on all of our parts to try to come together on. But I think now when they come and see me play, they're absolutely, you know, as you you said, you're Jewish. So, you know, the expression, quelling with nachos. They're, uh, they're very, they're very proud. <laughs> I do indeed. I also know that had I been a podiatrist, my parents would have been very proud. That's hilarious. Well, you know, pride comes all in all different forms. It does. <laughs> it does. Have, did you figure out, because I, I struggled with this for a really long time, and it was probably <laughs> because of my mom. Um, it, yeah. it always is. Right? It always is. It is, you know, and I think, you know, we moved to uh, California. Well, I was born here, but my parents were from New York. But uh, we moved out to a place in California that at the time there were not a lot of Jewish people. And my mom, having grown up in the shadow of, you know, uh, all the work that Hitler had done uh, was very oh, nervous about how Jews were perceived. And so my Jewish identity was not really cultivated um, as a young man until I got older and I got into stand-up comedy. And I started to really figure out mm. what my identity was and how it was wrapped up in my Judaism. Did you? And so I crafted my own cultural identity through uh, my Judaism and figuring out what that was. That's amazing. I want yeah. to see you do stand-up comedy now. I think I I'm your target audience. <laughs> I, I, I did it as a, as a kid. 
but I stopped doing it. I oh, got wow. radio or that, but you know, but I found that humor was the key that picked all the locks. Like if someone was, no one was going to bully me because I could make them laugh. Um, oh, that is so beautifully put. I love that. I didn't figure that out until a bit later. And if anything, actually, I was quite earnest and introverted, and I was very dedicated to ballet and my songwriting. And I could have used that skill early on, but I also think, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't meant to be. I, I was meant to be a bit of an outsider so that I could learn how to empathize with that more and how to put that into the more um, substantive content of my work. And then the comedy for me and the humor is more of, um, I suppose those are those segue moments and kind of the glue that puts it all together as, as a show and makes people feel at ease and just kind of diffuses the seriousness of the material for me. I see. I see. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, you know, it's one of those things where I, you know, I struggled with it for a really long time. And I, I think what I struggled with is that I always felt at home being an outsider and, you know, mm -hmm. The old Groucho Marx joke about not trusting a club that would have him as a member, like people always cite that joke, but what they don't cite is the fact that he was mistrustful of, of belonging, um, where he be, he'd become almost used to not belonging. And I, and I wonder if um, being an outsider, did you ever feel a loneliness or did you feel that that was a natural place? I was too busy working hard in, in what I love to do. To really think too much about it I think that was the beauty of having things I loved to do I think you're ruminating less about your loneliness or not belonging or not fitting in I mean so so there's your answer you know I think yeah. it ended it ended up in the music or in the dance <laughs> and I'm sure that's the case for many many artists yeah I've always felt that the work rescues us I feel like the work is so primary and hopefully each hopefully each other too right yes i think so i do i mean i always wonder about dylan when he's on the sidelines at woodstock after the motorcycle accident you know and i mm -hmm. I, I would think to him like for him just he must have been dying to get back on stage or dying to get back to work because that was really yeah. you know where he belonged well that's what i felt at the end of you know my illness was I couldn't get back into the studio and back on stage fast enough, but it's also, you know, it's a slow process for someone who's used to rushing or anyone from New York. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think there is a silver lining to, to having to really take it slow and be more appreciative of everything. So that's something that I'm still doing my best to hold on to and not forget. Cause I think it's, you know, it's a, I don't know. It seems like a more pleasing way to go through life is just to actually relish it, you know? Yeah. Well, character feels novelistic to me in the sense that the sequencing of the songs is very specific. Um, did you... It always is, my it friend. It always is, right? <laughs> I, I know, like, for our young listeners out there, that is actually a primary... Uh, very important thing for a piece of art, like a like a an album. You you are telling a story, yeah. which is important. Did you struggle with the order of these songs? How long did you did you did you work with that? Oh, I think it it was 
it happened pretty quickly. There was one change toward the very end when I thought I had had that all together, and then I, I think it was a day or two before mastering, uh, I tried something else, and it everything clicked. And it, you know, sometimes that's happened in the past, but I'll wrestle with it until I'm, till I feel this, you know, just this uh, physical kind of clicking where okay, that's it, you know, and then you leave it alone. Like when you know, you know, dinner's done. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about the placement of the song Catch the Light. Catch the Light is the last track on the album. And, you know, that is more of a an expansive kind of trying to make spiritual sense of what I've been through and, you know, kind of a reaching out and and asking the universe to help me do that so I, I sort of start with blue sky days which is it sounds very upbeat but some of the lyrics are really expressing a kind of struggle between wanting to be grateful wanting to be conscious and and appreciative and also struggling with the, the roadmap that doesn't make sense anymore right um, and how how difficult that can be and then I kind of arrive at a place of you know, wanting angels around me and, and, and to just kind of have a, a new sense of faith that everything will be okay. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of friendship um, in your life, both oh, sure. artistic friendships and your, and your non-artistic friendships and how it got you through what you've gone through and also how to maintain friendships in this business? Hmm. You know, I've always been someone who was much more easily able to make one-on-one kinds of friendships and, you know, those sorts of intense friendships where you, you meet a kindred spirit and you're just like, me too, me too. Oh my God, I'm the same way. You know, you just click and, and you want to spend a lot of time together very quickly to get to know one another. And, and whether that happens in New York or over tea or on the road, you know, that's just my nature. Um, is to connect with soulmates and kindred spirits that way. And, and then it kind of feels like you've known each other forever. So those sorts of friends are friends that, you know, you're met, just meant to, to know, meant to connect with. And it doesn't take that much work necessarily. You just, you can pick up where you left off. And those are probably the majority of the types of friendships that I have. I, you know, it's kind of funny actually, when I get a group of friends together, most of them have never met before or met once at a show of mine or at a, you know, a birthday party, but I'm not much of a group socializer. So in that sense, every person I might meet up with, it it is very intimate and very precious to me and incredibly important to me. So yeah, those are my, you know, that's my community, my chosen family and, and, um, certainly over the last year or two, um, those people and having having them around me, letting them in has been vital for me. And, uh, you know, I don't take it for granted. And your relationship with Howard, it feels like you've known him for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few years now. This is our third tour together. I can't believe that, um, you know, time has passed so, so quickly and... Um, we're in the middle of this tour now and it's going by so fast and 
um, I'm just trying to really enjoy every minute. But he is such a mensch and just a great down-to-earth, loving, open person. And I learned from him every night watching him on stage, how gracious he is with the audience, with his band. Um, and those songs, you know, they're just so seminal and beautifully written and constructed. And, and he's just so naturally talented and his voice is beautiful. It's, it's really, you know, I, I'm so, so lucky. Um, so, yay, Howard. <laughs> yay, Howard. Yeah, I've interviewed him. He's a lovely guy. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it sounds like a silly question, but do you keep mm-hmm. up with the cultural musical zeitgeist? Are you, are you always keeping sort of a no. track on track? <laughs> no, you don't. Not at all. No, I kind of pick and choose what to let in and, and infiltrate at different times. So, the, you know, while I'm making an album, I probably don't listen to any music by anybody or even in the months coming up to it. It's just, I don't know. I don't get my inspiration creatively from other music 90% of the time. I mean, there are exceptions to that, and they've been notable, you know, but I can't even think of any offhand. I think they might have been earlier in my 20s, um, for instance, when I was in college. And for me, Ani DeFranco's music was incredibly healing, and I was going through a lot of just dark the emotions and and she was really comforting for me to listen to um there've been a handful of other artists like that but generally speaking i've always looked to visual art and and music and i'm i'm sorry movies and television even because now of course tv is the new film right um and i've gotten countless ideas for songwriting um and even production in a certain way from from those sources, um, less so directly from music. And I think that's sort of reinforced by the fact that most of the music I absolutely love, I don't sound anything like, right. <laughs> you know, like um, I love Elvis Costello and obviously, you know, it's a little bit hard to find his sonic influence in what I do. Although occasionally when I rock out on an electric guitar, perhaps, um, and then there are other artists who I'm compared to really frequently whose music I don't listen to at all. And I, you know, it never bothers me. I always think it's interesting and, and of course a compliment when they're artists I admire, but they might not be in my collection or I might be new to them. So it's, you know, sort of a mix. And then there are times when friends will introduce me to music and I'll take that, you know, maybe a little bit more, to heart like oh you have to listen to this song this is going to blow your mind and then there are artists on my record label whose music I'm listening to all the time and that's my job of course is to champion them and and encourage and guide them in certain ways so it's you know it's kind of a mix of being under the radar and then occasionally being hit over the head right with, with great great music yeah, and it's interesting because I think it's – I mean, obviously, when you were saying that you get influenced by television, do you mean specifically mm-hmm. visually or do you mean sonically? Dialogue. I mean I mean uh, language, dialogue, turns of phrase, scenarios, plot twists, you know, things like that. For instance, my song Olivia, which was inspired by the character Olivia Benson on Law & Order SVU, you know, mm. like had I not been an avid – 
you know, fan of that show, I would not have written that song. And yet a lot of people assume it's about a person I knew or something that happened to me in my life. And I think that's great, you know, that it's, it's all, it's sort of a free for all out there for any, any creative person, any writer. Um, and I don't always reveal, you know, what inspires me because that takes a little bit of the mystery out of it. Um, but sometimes I do because I think it might be fun for, for listeners to know. Can you tell me what has always come easy to you and what has always been something you've struggled with mm. artistically? I think the visuals have always come easily to me. I always have a zillion ideas for how I could take this music and, you know, match it with a visual theme, a type of photo shoot, a, a color palette, a location, you know, just something an approach, a process to creating those visuals that will help me feel like I'm creating a complete experience. So as you can imagine, it's a little bit, you know, uh, bittersweet for me now that visuals are not as integral um, to an album release when as the CD is sort of fading. Um, but there's always vinyl. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And I, th- I, think, I think what's been more difficult for me is... Um, I mean, I love production. I love all that. That comes very easily to me, too, arrangement. I think what's difficult is being able to say when something is finished and I should let it go and stop kind of tinkering with it. Um, so the mix process has always been a bit challenging for me because there are just so many ways that you can mix a song and balance all of these ingredients that you've put into the cake, so to speak. And um you know, that, that creates a little bit of separation anxiety for me. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, maybe we should raise that vocal there. and Or maybe we should add one more string layer, you know. Um, that part is, is challenging for me. But it's, it's still always gratifying. And, and then when you really sign off and you say, this is done, you know, you feel a sense of accomplishment briefly. And then you're on to the next. Right. <laughs> Well, before we're done, I have to I have to call back something you said about an hour ago where you were talking about yeah. a song that you had written in college. And mm-hmm. this is a really good instructive moment for young musicians who are starting to write. But my first thought is you must have a really good filing system to find that song that you wrote in college. No, not really. I think I found it in a box that had been put away high on a shelf. And I, <laughs> as, as you can imagine, I had a lot of time to sort of go through my my life and belongings in those months and uh so yeah that was just a little bit of a gift to happen upon it um, right but yeah. <laughs> you know but you don't i'm not organized i don't not... want you to to be misled <laughs> i am by no means an organized person but you don't <laughs> just throw stop things right away. there right but That's you don't true. throw That's things true. away like if you if you wrote something down i like the idea of an idea which is not executed on a on an album that it stays alive, mm-hmm. even if it's in a box. You don't throw your stuff away because you will revisit it, hopefully, maybe one day. That is true about 50% of the time. I'm trying to throw things away that do not serve me anymore. But I will never throw away old lyrics and poetry because I do, you know, want to honor that that journey and, and that little, little baby me who was trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, my... Yeah. My Jewish goodbye is going to take 20 minutes. So let me say this. 
I have always felt a kinship with you because we entered the business around the same time, like I said. Um, I've I've listened to your work, everything you've done for years, and I've always adored you. And I'm just so happy oh, to get a chance to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yay. Oh, this has been really wonderful and perfect timing, too. We have literally just arrived at our next destination. Oh, so yeah. we are now, we started out in Kansas. Now we're in Denver and all of that happened while we were chatting. <laughs> How about that? That's pretty Amazing. good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, congratulations on a beautiful album and congratulations oh, thank you so much. on everything and to health and happiness and continued success. And oh. thank you for your time. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And I hope we get to serenade you in person somewhere along the tour. I hope so too, Rachel Sage. I like her. She's so cool. Uh, Her album is so great. Get it. Go get it now. You're hanging out at home. What are you doing? Go buy her album. RachelSage.com gives you all Rachel Sage information. That's the place to go. For information about me, well, AlexGreenOnline.com will do the trick. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave a nice comment, tell a friend, and then do it again. Thank you, as always, for listening to the program. Here's the title track from Rachel's new album. Enjoy it. This is Character, right here, on Stereo Embers, the podcast, only on Bombshell Radio. What is me? Your intention pure
atomic fuse. 